welcome to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host. Today we welcome Anandi Krishnan. As a Stanford Medicine newsletter reported back in 2017, Anandi was on a fast track to pro- a promising academic research career. A research fellow at Duke University, she had earned a PhD in bioengineering from Penn State in less than four years and was the lead author of 11 scientific papers. But a complicated pregnancy, an illness in her family, and time off to care for her newborn child led to a career break in 2011. While she feared that the extended leave might end her research career, She was awarded a National Institutes of Health Career Reentry Grant in 2016 that enabled her to move from a staff position at Stanford back into research. Today, we want to learn about that NIH Career Reentry Grant, exactly what was involved in being awarded one, and find out how it enabled Anundi to relaunch her career in scientific research and led to the work she's doing today. Anendi, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you, Carol. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite to join. Yes, we are so thrilled that you are here. And we want to start by hearing about your decision to leave the workforce at what sounds like a high point in your scientific research career. Right. Um, it sure was, uh, as not just for me, but for any um, uh, research uh, scientist, a postdoctoral fellowship is the term where you are at the highest point in your uh, research career, in your own uh, uh, research uh, efforts, the success in your research. Hopefully you've had a good uh, several productive years and you have a few papers, a few solid mentors, you have an identity about what you want to do next with your own career. So yes, it was, it, it was, it is a high point in any uh, uh, young scientist. Um, so yes, it was a difficult decision to not um, be able to, to come to terms with not be able to pursue the immediate next steps of continuing on for a tenure track faculty position at the time. Mm. And um, I'm wondering, did you get a lot of negative input from people, probably uh, unwelcomed input, but did people give you negative feedback and say, you know, medical research is a field where even if you leave for six months, that could be devastating. And how did you handle counteracting people who were giving you that messaging if they were? And uh, did it make you feel more pressured to keep up with some level of scientific research when you were on your career break? Yeah. um, You know, actually, I was, I guess I would say it this way. No, I did not have anyone, uh, you know, bearing me down saying this is a negative uh, idea that you you know there'll be consequences to this, but I think I myself you know this is something I've definitely internalized. I don't think anybody needed to tell me that right. it's an important um, a gap and a gap that can have serious consequences. I was conscious of that, um, and but I should also say that you know the 
yes, I did lose a whole year where I could not, you know, let alone science, I could not be in a um, you know, place to be, you know, productive and move things along as well um, for various personal reasons. But, but in those instances, I think I can definitely say I was, you know, uh, not ne- ever giving up. Um, I was definitely staying up to date with literature. I was staying up to date with my mentors. I was staying in touch with them. Uh, I was keeping them posted. I was myself making plans to, you know, if this is a gap, you know, what are the various things I'm going to try to do? Um, and one of those things, you know, in thinking through in those conversations with mentors is actually what led me from my postdoc at Duke to come to Stanford um, the year down the lane um, into a non-research position. And I guess, you know, again, internally, I, I did, you know, I must, looking back, I guess I would say that I was conscious that I... I consciously made the decision to come into an academic institution. That is, I'm staying in academia um, and I knew I wanted to stay in science. So I think I designed it in that sense and looked for the next opportunity. So you had the complete career break and then you moved into a role that was at a scientific research academic institution, but it was not scientific research anymore. It was more administrative. That's correct. That's correct. It was more uh, actually program um, development. And uh, I. Um, it, it is something that given my experience at Duke, even though I was a, a fellow there um, at Duke, I was also part of a large clinical research institute. And I was familiar with how the, you know, the, the program is uh, structured there. And Stanford actually at the time was also preparing to write a large um, um, multi-institutional uh, federal grant. And I could, uh, I could, you know, when I came here and interviewed with my colleagues here, I could both, you know, both sides could see that it was a great fit and that we could um, start off there. And all my colleagues, even through those instances, knew that I, <laughs> I was interested in science. In fact, uh, you know, subsequently, mentors have said oh you know we you know we knew you know we knew that was what you were that is where your heart was and <laughs> but yes so i had a full opportunity to be involved in a program development role here at stanford wow well i i have to Im- uh, imagine they could not disregard the history that you had w- with the you know being the lead author of 11 scientific papers and finishing your PhD in record time, uh, <laughs> I, I have to believe that that they were aware of that. So they were probably amazed and thrilled that they got someone of your caliber to be in the role you were in. Oh, oh thank you, Carol. I, again, I had good, good mentors. Even in my doctoral years, I was fortunate to have, you know, good mentors who supported. And of course, you know, we bring, I, um, we, you know, 99% of us, I would say, come with a lot of enthusiasm. We are committed to science. So we usually just need a a little bit of mentorship. Yeah, I mean, a lot of mentorship, but a little bit of supportive infrastructure. And we can usually thrive with that. Yeah. So I I want to talk with you in more detail about what form that mentorship took. But I'm thinking maybe if we can do it in the context of the, uh, when you, we're applying for the career re- reentry grant, but can you first tell us how did you even find out 
about the NIH career reentry grant in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so NIH has these list serves you can sign up for. Anyone can sign up for whatever part of the world you are in. You can sign up for, um, and um, you know they come with. It's a rolling, rolling um, deadlines, and you. It's in one of those emails that I, I mean, again, as being part of the university, I do get them. We all get them weekly. Um, I think they're weekly. And uh, and I am used to, you know, following grant deadlines and things. So this was one of those that immediately caught my eye. Mm -hmm. I knew, and it wasn't, you know, I should say that it's not something I already knew. You know, it's not that I was, you know, clearly looking for something that's going to show up in an NIH reentry it's not. It's not at all that. It was uh, fortuitous. Um, in fact, I would. I want to speak to and give a big shout out to the um, institute, which primarily, um, you know, initiated that in that 2016 year. And I haven't actually seen Carol. Maybe. I, I mean, I know it is there, but I haven't actively come across, you know, other uh, announcements. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it is. But this was mine was from the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. It's called NCATS. In fact, NCATS is actively, you know, part of even the COVID, um, you know, uh, the vaccine trials and things like that. I have to um, look closely at the details before I um, speak more on it. But mm -hmm. That's how I. That's how I heard. I saw it in an email, and I had to. Of course, the first thing to do is to reach out to uh, faculty at uh, the institution. Right, that's what you have to do. And I was, and you can apply from elsewhere too. You didn't. You don't need to be affiliated with an academic institution in order to apply to these programs, but you do need to identify mentors. So. You know, if you are in the United States and in any state, you, 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 I'm sure, you know, if you're in, if you're in the loop and you're interested, I'm sure you know of the nearest, you know, state university or private university. I'm sure you've been speaking with some um, scientific faculty. You mm -hmm. can reach out. You can reach out with a statement of interest, point to them that there is this grant announcement. I'm interested in this. I'm, um, you know, qualified for because of this and this reason, you know, I've had, they describe that in those program announcements, they'll describe that, you know, what you have to have had a legitimate break and you have to be able to have justify that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's exactly for, you know, it's exactly for those of us who may have had those um, disruptions that these programs are there. And so, you know, if you reach out within a university and let them know, so here is a program announcement I would like to pursue. Um, here is my candidacy. Here is what I need from you. Um, and usually, I mean, yes, there is, uh, you know, mentors are busy too, and you have to do some legwork yourself, but they can usually, most most folks are happy to support, happy to let you try. You know, the rest is chance. The rest is your candidacy. But um, they are happy to let you try. So let me just review this. And and Anandi, tell me if I'm wrong, but I I believe that this career reentry uh, grant, as you're pointing out, it, your eligibility is if you've been away from the lab bench for a, a range of reasons, and it could include caregiving. Uh, and mm -hmm. So if you get the grant, that means that you come attached to grant money and you need to identify a principal investigator or someone who's running a lab who then, if they accept you into the lab, they 
you come funded, essentially. Is that how it works? That's absolutely correct. That's exactly why, you know, it makes it easy for a principal investigator to take you on, right? Of course, I mean, they still have to give you a home and right. they have to think you are committed, right? You have to come in committed um, and also that the institution has to allow you to set up an application and submit to the NIH. Those are things that that principal investigator can help you do. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. You come right off the bat with funding. Um, they give you a home. They give you, you know, and my particular grant from NCATS came with money for supplies, came with full salary for me. Um, so it it made it, I mean, it was well designed, well thought out. It was well thought out by the NIH. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long was it from when you first decided to apply to when you received the grant? Yeah, so I should, um, yes, so from, oh, from when I applied to, actually, I would say it was um, nine months, eight to nine months, earlier in the year to November, that's when, um, yeah, that's exactly how it was. Because, you know, it took me, again, it was the month or two to three months, I think, a month or so, month or two, I would say, but I was also, you know, full-time working and then trying to write this up and it was, it was mm-hmm. hard. Um, but, but the advantage was I was already within an institution. So, but once I submitted, I think it was, I would say, yeah, seven to eight months. It is not long, see, uh, Carol, because other grants are a full, you know, if you write now, I'm in a, I have a career development award and I know that that took over a year and a half to, um, be finally awarded. So, Mm -hmm. um, so this, this, the, the cycle is not long. It's worth Whoever is interested, it's worth giving it a shot. All right, and and then Anindi, when you were applying for it, you have to, you identify this. Do you identify the principal investigator first? Explain that you're trying to apply for this, and then um, that person has to sort of sponsor you as and and indicate that they will take you in their lab, or you get the grant first and then you look for an investigator. Um, no, you actually, so the way, yes, yes and no in two ways. Okay. One, one, yes, you do, you know, you do need a, even as you write your grant, as with any NIH grant, you have to show support, correct? You do need to show that there is someone backing you, that there is a department that is backing you, that the research that you're proposing is doable, right? That you have an infrastructure to do it so mm-hmm. for those reasons, you do need you do need to have identified a principal investigator who cares for you, who is a mentor, who commits, who understands your background, is willing to help you step up to this challenge. So that yes, you do have to have that. But then the actual appointment, you know, so st- the actual. Uh, so for example, you, I am now appointed as instructor um, in our department of pathology, and that happens only when your funding comes through. Huh. Um, they can, they can, they can tell you. I mean, that this is, you know, there is a assurance that it'll come, but that can come. They can appoint you that only when your NIH has approved of the funding and the funding has come through. Got it. And then um, take us back to the first day that you, so you, you received the grant, you are, um, you, you, you have a mentor of a professor and a principal investigator in a lab. You're there on day one or week one. What, like, what was it like at the beginning? 
Yeah. Um, again, I would, you know, orient my mind to my fantastic mentors. So I first want to mention Jim Zend. Um, he is a professor of uh, hemat medicine, hematology, and professor of pathology, which is which is the first the home department. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it's through Jim that I. Uh, got connected to Dr. Jason Gottlieb, who is a uh, also a hematologist and uh, uh, myelo a rare disease, uh, you know, myeloproliferative neoplasms uh, expert clinician here at the Stanford Cancer Center. Um, so, on Jim's introduction, I had already this is at the time of planning to write the grant. I had uh, gone and met uh, Jason and Jim and Jason and myself. We had communicated via email and they knew that I'm preparing the application. So at the, um, actually I was in India when I heard word. I was, I had traveled, it was late August, I think, or mid August, right before school. So we had gone to India for a short trip then. And I had heard from NIH when I was not with them here. So we were, all three of us were very happy for the mm -hmm. comment. Um, and so the immediate, so the, the day one that you mentioned is really that, so the plan for the grant, the proposal was written to study those um, myeloproliferative neoplasia patients who are at the Stanford Cancer Center. And my proposal was to study platelets from these patients. Platelets are blood cells. And they, uh, in my understanding of the literature then, when I wrote up the proposal, was that these cells were, you know, I still, I, I, I call them versatile. They are um, phenomenal uh, cells which are actually responsive to the environment. That means they don't, they are seen as, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, generally understood as performing functions and clotting. Um, but emerging literature tells us that these cells don't just perform that one function, but they're also multifunctional and responsive to the environment. That means, let's say in blood cancers, um, our hypothesis was that platelet signatures within the platelets, that is the RNA within the platelets, are changed. Um, and that we can study them, that we can identify those changes in the platelet RNA and you know and and we also justifying that why platelets right we could study anything else or you could study the whole blood but we wanted to say that the platelets themselves are disease specific they give us a more more higher resolution window into what is going on and so again yeah so with the that was the background to the proposal so right off the bat the first thing you need to do is to start collecting uh, blood samples from these uh, rare blood cancer patients mm. and of course so yeah so i you know literally that is what i did you know these are collected in yellow top tubes and i would uh, hark over to uh, jason's clinic which is at the cancer center so that's, you know, and then study the protocols. So here again, so the third group of mentors that I give a big shout out to is, uh, they're not here at Stanford, they're at the University of Utah. And I got connected to them. I actually did not know them before my um, re-entry, although I had read their literature. So I knew, I knew the work, but I did not know them. And, um, my my mentor from Duke University, when I last left research in 2011, I had reached out to him, and he was he is now at um, in Cincinnati. And so when I reached out to him, he said, "Oh, uh, you know, I know Andy Weirich's lab. Uh, you you can you should surely reach out to them." 
and mm. I, and all this, as you can imagine, is in you know, it's not. It sounds. I mean, whoever is listening, I would like to tell them, it's not easy. It didn't come out just as I just said it. <laughs> it requires a lot. Of, it, yeah, it requires a lot of confidence. It requires a lot. You know, it, it takes a lot of back and forth thinking. You know, do I do this? Is this the direction? Is, do I pursue this? What will mm. they ask? You know, am I ready for these questions? But mm-hmm. uh, and that's how I reached out to them. And so they had. So the reason I mentioned that is they had they had started. Like I said, they had already done platelet RNA work, and uh, back in I think 2012. You know, one of the early papers published was in 2012, 13. So it was still new, new science, new technology. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so this is something. And Stanford had not. Even now, I'm proud to say that I'm the only one working on this particular field, linking these multiple uh, cross-disciplinary fields. And so they made, you know, they set the stage up for me too. So they had published protocols, which I was able to. So again, my day one involved um, not only collecting those patient samples, but really being ready to go on those, uh, on the protocols that I had studied. Um, and I I was able to do that at Jim Zender's uh, lab bench, Um I was able, I do remember, you know, thank you, Carol, for saying day one, because what does day one also mean? You get to order supplies. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So, you know, so I had, I, I do have pictures of um, packaging um, boxes coming in from, you know, uh, Milton I and other things like from the protocol. So that's how I started. And since then, now up to four years, I, I I will, you know, it's probably part of the conversation I'll let you ask, but I have been able to collect 100 plus samples um, and at the, you know, at the uh, verge of wrapping up a paper now, uh, the second in that work. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's where we are now. Wow. Um, yeah, I am going to ask you a, a couple more follow up questions about this. And, you know, it's 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 remarkable that you know you're saying that you are the researcher now who the lead researcher who's doing this work on um, and uh and that's happened in the last four years so um can you tell us what happened uh like does the career reentry grant last for a year and then what happens after that grant did you were you able to get subsequent funding in it pretty smoothly afterward Yes, yes, I was again lucky to do so. Um, so the the particular career entry grant that I had ran for less than less than two years for ter- because it's also I I missed mentioning that you need you know you you submit that as a supplement so usually it is limited by um, the term of the original parent grant that is already at the institution so ah. you. Yeah. So you, you, but, you know, you typically, again, I don't think you still get more than two years. So that's what I wanted to say. So um, I don't think so. It's you can at the most it's like, a re, you know, postdoctoral term. So you get so I had just shy of um, two years. Um, so which also means not only that I have to generate um, the um the research. I mean, not only that. Yeah, not only that you generate the preliminary data, but you um, you also immediately need to plan your next um, grant. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, so it's essentially yes. It, this becomes a 
um, a term you use to collect preliminary data toward your next grant. And I was able to do that. And that's what transitioned me to uh, uh, another NIH grant, which is the Career Development Award, um, which I was a I applied and I think I applied in 2017 as my first round. So soon after entering and soon after collecting the initial, um, you know, minimum um, set of data that could help me write that grant with, of course, reasonable, you know, data signals. Um, and I it got funded in 2018, late 2018. Mm. So right, right before the end, I knew that I was getting the next award, which is now funded for five years since 2018. So I'm now in my second year of the award. I see. And I know when we were, we were talking right before uh, we started recording, you were telling me that this is a very special date today <laughs> and uh, for, for two reasons. So you <laughs> want to tell everyone? Yes, absolutely. So, so since you know, since the since the K award, which is the NIH Career Development Award, I have been you know plunging through. So the grant you know gives you the final you know you you rest for a moment. So initially, I I I cannot tell you how much. I mean, all my mentors, colleagues will say how I was racing to try to get to that next step because unless you have that next grant there is no you know what the, the point of relaunching goes away in some ways mm-hmm. so i had to keep on with that so today i am at the verge like i said of not only wrapping up all of that data into a substantial i want to use the word giant um paper that will should go out into a solid high impact journal in the near less than two weeks. Mm. Um, awesome. and, yeah. And uh, what you were alluding to is that, so I finally took the plunge and sent out a postdoctoral posting and it went out less than a few days ago. Um, and that too, you know, I was um, several, you know, I was tepid about it. I was, you know, should I look for an internal, you know, local candidates and things like that. And I just went all out, posted it on LinkedIn. It's out there or everywhere, Twitter. <laughs> and yeah. then I I got to know today. So a few days ago, I heard from this excellent candidate who has done platelet research in India, it turns out, um, and has worked with the University of Utah, where I mentioned some of my mentors come from. Um, So I have identified, I think, my first postdoctoral fellow who would join the program, and he is equally excited. Um, So that's what makes today doubly special. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, Congratulations. That's such a milestone to hire your first postdoc uh, to be working for you on your research. Um, and also, I'll add that you told me that, you know, uh, we're recording this. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll tell the audience we're recording this on October 30th because it's going to be released, not today, but a couple of weeks from now. And that this is almost four years to the day, right? In, yes. In 2016. Yes when you started back. Yes, I meant yes, I forgot that. Yes, you're right. It's exactly when I so November one or October, you know, 30th, I think was most certainly the date of my last NIH, the re-entry award. So it is it is and I'm speaking with you. So it makes yeah. it special in that way too. <laughs> uh, well it's it's uh, I mean you're you're 
everything you're telling me about your reentry and your progression and where you are in your research and hiring your first postdoc, it's 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 an, an incredible uh, pathway and progression, and I hope so inspiring for other relaunchers who are either on career break and considering relaunching their scientific research careers, or maybe even early in their careers looking at um, what happens if you take a career break and what the different options are. So I really appreciate you sharing um, all, all of this detail. Um, Anundi, what was the transition like on the personal side? What, like you took that career break, there was a lot going on on the personal side with your family, and then you went back into ultimately yeah. going back into lab research. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, I mean, at my, you know, at so, you know, the struggles for me were actually some of the, you know, it, it required caregiving toward my um, uh, parents too, who were struggling mm -hmm. in some ways back in India. So I was, um, you know, th that that juggle, in addition to, of course, you know, you know, I had, as you noted, um, my own um, pregnancy and things like that. So it, it, it that's the reason, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, I can only um, imagine, you know, we all know, you know, the, just the childcare alone can overwhelm and this was a couple of layers over that that i'm yeah. happy that i navigated them i wanted you know if anybody i have you know i've spoken with i have good friends who have helped me through this who know that i would not have done it any other way so the gap is something i would have taken because as a person i'm someone who would have prior i would not you know i i wanted to prioritize caregiving for some reasons which mm -hmm. i did um, and uh, so what that meant is that, yeah, so in, in the U.S. as such, in my home here, I did not, you know, my, my spouse is very supportive. Even my children <laughs> were very, you know, they were very understanding. They're actually very happy for me. They think I'm badass. Um, <laughs> they, they look at, there is, a, there, there is a, you know, someone, I have no idea who did who the uh, author is but there is a badass women in science website so it, my children usually love seeing that and laughing that oh amma they found you here um oh, so great. yeah so those things that you know but then you know actually it was it was a struggle Can you know my parents still there was some concerns some struggles at their end um not to overwhelm you with this, but I know that whoever is listening and, you know, my mentors and others know that my my father actually passed away October 10th. So this... Oh, this very um, recently. Mm. Yes, now, and I couldn't, you know, with the COVID and all that, couldn't yeah. even go to be with him. Oh, but yeah. I know, you know, I know that this is what he would want for me. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so in, in that sense, you know, I mean, and he knew, you know, he knew that I had managed to return to research and I and he knew that I had continued to do well. Um, so yeah, on the personal friend front, I, I am, you know, yes, there were some struggles, but I also had a supportive family who, uh, who understood what it means, who really value science. We all do. I'm lucky to be with a spouse who understands science. It's very important. Um, and that that is what, that's what, yeah. So that's what helped me, that's what helps me keep moving too. Yes, thank you for sharing that. Really uh, appreciate um, 
talking about that, the personal side. Um, And, you know, I, I want to keep talking, uh, but, but we have to wrap up our podcast. And I wanted to ask you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for saying that, Carol. And I want, you know, the, the picture I have in my head as I try to answer that is your I relaunch conference here at Stanford. That's the first time, you know, I actually, you might remember that I spoke with you or someone else and I said, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what they would, what what I could add. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure you need, you know, um, someone, you know, I, I don't know if what I could add there. But I remember coming there and finding so many folks who wanted to hear from me and wanted to see, oh, how did you do this? And um, so to all of them, I, I will say again, whoever is interested in, especially signs that I can speak to, that there's always an opportunity. And it doesn't have to be this exact track. Um, there, you know, another potential track that I myself had considered is that you can come back as a postdoctoral fellow into any lab. You can try and immediately soon after help them write a grant that can fund yourself. And mm. there are opportunities, there are possibilities, especially for science. And I was saying this to Carol earlier, that science and scientists are a highly welcoming community, um, especially in today's world. I give 1,000 shouts to our scientists and the scientific institutions, which are safe havens. Um, any of you who are interested, never, don't think you cannot pursue. Um, please do reach out to those whose interests match yours. And um, if you don't hear, you know, in the everyone is, you know, packed. Their schedules are tight. People, you know, you just reach out again. Mm-hmm. You, you know, write to them again and. One thing you could do when you're in your gap that is within your own control is to keep, you know, update, keep on with your writing skills, for example, you know, writing, uh, scientific understanding, thinking, literature uh, understanding. These are not, these are, I mean, it's, it's a wide internet world. Anywhere you can understand these things. And that way you are ready when there is an opportunity. That mm-hmm. way you can convince, you know, you can always write up a short statement of research and any serious um, investigator, any anyone who understands science will, will appreciate that. So that those are the things I would say. So to keep on with your skills, keep, stay up to date, keep, Keep up with the literature if you can. Keep up your writing skills if you can. Uh, and re- keep on reaching out. That's such excellent advice. And I'm so glad you told people if they don't hear back right away to reach out again. Uh, that's advice that resonates beyond the scientific community, but really to any relauncher, because we have so many relaunchers who, who might, and this has happened to me too, that you reach out to someone, you don't hear, hear anything. And you kind of think, well, I guess the person, you know, really doesn't have any interest in, in, in being connected with me. And then you reach out again and they'll write, oh, wow, I missed this the first time <laughs> or it went into my spam or something. Yes. And then you realize, oh, this had nothing to do with me or our relationship or if the person had any interest. It just it was just that they didn't even get the first one or they somehow, you know, they somehow missed it. So <laughs> I love that you said that. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. So oh, thank you. Especially the research statement. 
you know, when I when I see, you know, I just finished these interviewing of these candidates, right? The one thing that caught my own attention is when someone sends you a short statement of research, that's usually very impressive. You know what I mean, Carol? That means mm-hmm. they put in they put in the effort already. So instead of just an email where you might say, I'm interested in working in your lab, you might say, these are my interests and this is how it matches yours. I would love to speak with you. You know, mm. you know what I mean? That, that sort of thing, I think, you know, tips it over a little bit so it, it catches, it catches in someone's attention. That's an excellent, excellent piece of advice specifically for people who are looking to uh, relaunch in scientific research. So I'm so glad we're ending on that note. Anandi, thank <laughs> you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you, Carol. Thanks for what you do for not just, you know, re-entry scientists, but across the board. Um, Mm. Great work. Thank you. And thanks for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.